Well, we'll see how this goes, technically speaking. <laughs> the topic of Fatnet, uh, this evening's Dhamma is the hindrances. There are five of Fatnet, those with a special emphasis on the hindrance of sloth and torpor. The reason for you know, choosing this particular topic is you know, that the hindrances do come come up in our meditation practice and certainly among our retreatants here there are a number who had to deal with them who are currently dealing with them. Now, the topic of Fatna, the hindrances, is a large topic. Many details Satna could be mentioned. And Satna, therefore, allow me to first give some explanations about the hindrances, some general explanations about the hindrances. And Satna, then, having done this, will focus in on the hindrance of sloth and torpor. And then once sloth and torpor as a hindrance has been dealt with to some extent, then we'll finish off with some general remarks about the hindrances. Now, the Buddha has certainly given a number of Fatna illustrations, images, Fatna for you know, the five Fatna hindrances. Among you know, those illustrations is Fatna one, and then Fatna someone, a Brahmin who um, you know, tries to remember verses Fatna learned in the past, is not able to do so you know, when this or that hindrance comes up. Now, a second series of Fatna similes is certainly mentioned in the Anguccha Nikaya, the fifth volume as well as or section 193 as well as in the Samyutta Nikaya. And Satna there we have each Satna hindrance being compared to water. So the hindrance of Saint Satna desire, being the first hindrance, is compared to water mixed with various certain colors or various dyes. So in other words, water, if you take a pot of water, translucent water, and you add various dyes, then the dyes Satna will obviously uh, color uh, the water and give it a new quality. The hindrance of ill will is certainly compared to, to boiling the water, and certainly the hindrance of fatness, sloth, and torpor is compared to, to water covered by mosses. The hindrance of restlessness and Jatna remorse is Satna compared to, to agitated water that is whipped up by uh, the wind. And finally, the fifth hindrance is that of skeptical doubt, and Satna this is compared to, to water uh, or to turbid and muddy water. And just as in such water, 
one cannot perceive one's own reflection in the absence of a mirror. So too, in the presence of the five hindrances, one cannot clearly discern one's own benefit, the benefit of others, the benefit of both. Now, the Pali technical term for the hindrances is what? Nivarana, yes, that's correct. And when we speak of the five hindrances, then the term is Pancha Nivarani. Nivaranani. Now, this term Nivarana consists of two parts, namely Nis and Vr. And literally, this Satna then means a shroud or a screen. The term Nivarana is used in Buddhist texts as a technical term with reference to mental defilements that hinder the attainment of fundamental calm and wisdom. Now, at this point, to add, namely, that the hindrances occur not only in the Vipassana practice, but the hindrances also occur in the Samatha meditation. So in the form of meditation that, uh, is, uh, that aims at developing uh, states of, uh, of deep concentration or absorption. Now, those hindrances are mental states that defile the mind, chetaso upakilese, the Pali scriptural language, and weaken wisdom, panyaya, panyaya, dubalikarane. And Satna, there are various Satna passages in which Satna, this statement appears. They obstruct the arising of their opposites, which are skillful and wholesome qualities. They prevent the arising of wholesome, of wholesomeness and destroy what, sorry, they prevent the arising of wisdom and destroy whatever wisdom that has arisen so far in accordance with the Vibhanga. Thus, the term Nivarana means a screen, a bar, or shutting off a hindrance, something that is covering, or it is also referred to as a heap of unwholesome mental states, akusala arasi in the Pali scriptural language. And the hindrances represent the function of mental defilements that hinder 
the mind of sentient beings from developing tranquility or calm and wisdom. Therefore, they are referred to as certain hindrances. There are said to be obstacles to the mind. They are also said to blind our mental vision. They further been referred to in the text, namely the Samyutta Nikaya, as corruptions of the mind or weakeners of wisdom, as Satna mentioned already. Now, not only this, the hindrances have a strong impact on our realization of the Dhamma. Namely, they block or close the eye of wisdom. They also block or prevent the arising, the gaining of and the arising of the happiness of Nibbana. And so it goes certain without certainness saying, if we incline our mind towards the realization of Fatna, the Dhamma, then, and the hindrances come up, well, then those hindrances need to be dealt with and we need to learn to overcome them. The hindrances are spoken of, frequently spoken of, as five in number, but they're at times also referred to as one hindrance, especially in connection with ignorance, which is the underlying state. And then, if we reckon them individually, then we can speak of seven distinct unwholesome mental qualities. The hindrances can be seen as five manifestations of the three roots of unwholesomeness. And in later discourses, we will deal with those certain roots of unwholesomeness. Now, the hindrances are there to be dealt with and they are there so that we learn something from them and that we learn to face those hindrances and not get overwhelmed by them, not identify with them, get entangled in them. Now, this much as a general introduction with regards to the hindrances, and allow me now to go on emphasizing on the hindrance, double hindrance of sloth and torpor.
The Pali word for sloth is tina. The Pali word for torpor is mida. And so now they are oftentimes mentioned together as tina mida nivarana in the Pali scriptural language. Now, sloth can be defined as sluggishness and dullness of mind, essentially, whereas mida or torpor, in essence, can be defined as the weakness and morbidity of the mental factors. Now, various scenarios are there for the arising of this hindrance of sloth and torpor. One such scenario is a retreatant undertakes the practice and suddenly then the first hindrance comes up, namely that of sense desire. One eventually deals with it, one is mindful of it, observes it, knows its nature, overcomes it. Now, that's not the end of the story. This will be followed by the arising of the hindrance of ill will, aversion, anger, and sooner or later one will learn how to be mindful of it and to come to know its nature and thus then overcome it. However, the mind uh, resists being tamed and um, as a result it goes into the next hindrance, namely that of sloth and torpor. So it decides to be you know, to become incorporative and says, okay, uh, if I have to be here in meditation, I will my response to it is a response of non-cooperation and certainly the mind falls asleep. Now, many other scenarios for the arising of sloth and torpor are there, and we shall look at certain the different causes in the context of this talk. Now, from your point of view, you've practiced here already for a couple of days, you've done retreats in the past, in which forms or what kind of manifestations of sloth and torpor have you come across? Has your mind been super alert from day one onwards until now? Would you say so? Not really? So then you know, those uh, who say, no, let me hear, how did certain sloth and torpor manifest in your practice? Yes, Constance? For the eyes to be closed. A uh -huh, that's correct. You mean during uh, during the sitting meditation or? Any time. Oh, any time. Ah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> any other uh, manifestations that you have experienced yourselves? The mind, the mind just 
sinks into a state that feels quite tranquil and uh. can often be misseen um, to start with when thinks one's developing a nice calm mind, but it's uh -huh. actually lacking a little bit in energy and it stays in this kind of tranquil no zone of not uh -huh. really perceiving much and it's very pleasant, but you don't learn it. Ah, yeah, that's a good point indeed. And then, uh, 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 Jan, or Jan. There you go. And certainly, so in terms of you know, the time of the day, and in relationship to sloth and torpor, have you noticed that sloth and torpor arises at certain times and at certain times not? For instance? For me, it can be any time. <laughs> <laughs> what about after meals? It's a common one for yogis. So the first sitting, the first session after you know, breakfast or lunch, it's common for retreatants you know, to end up uh, uh, with a nodding head for five or ten minutes. And that just has to do with the digestion of the food. Um, now, at what other times? The last sit before bed. By me? Ah, the last sit before bed. That's correct. And some of you will know this from direct certain experience, those of you who come for the last session. At first the mind is certainly still quite certainly fresh, energetic, but then maybe after five minutes, ten minutes or so, somehow or other the mental energy gets drained away and then the sloth and torpor comes in. Now, Sloth and torpor might also arise certainly during a dhamma talk that is particularly boring. There's not much, nothing interesting there. And in terms of the sitting posture, what have you noticed? When sloth and torpor sets in, what happens to our sitting posture? Yes, Constance? Yes, it will curve, it will, you know, the body will slump forward. What happens to the lower back? Is it still perfectly upright or straight? Not really. It arches outwards, backwards. And the head certainly, the mind certainly tilt you know, forward a little bit or a lot or you know, one, you know, the entire trunk might certainly tilt strongly to one side or you know, the other. Now then, in terms of a phenomenology of fitness, sloth and torpor, we could add types of, or well, cases of fitness, sloth and torpor that last just a moment or two. So just for a moment or two, now the mind suddenly goes into sloth and torpor, the head nods, or now there are cases of sloth and torpor that might last as much as 10, 15 minutes, or maybe even longer. When sloth and torpor 
is certainly predominant. What happens to your capacity to clearly observe and know the predominant objects of observation? What happens? It's gone. There you go. So if earlier on the mind was alert and had no difficulty clearly observing objects and knowing their nature, now when sloth and torpor sets in, that capacity then gets lost. And that just that single point might be very useful for for your practice to know. So that the next time you can check whether you're still knowing something, uh, whether you're still observing, clearly observing an object and knowing something about certain uh, that object. Also, the mind as certain, one of you had certain mentioned earlier on, the mind becomes somewhat slimy, dull. It, the venerous side opened it, uh, you know, speaks of the mind congeals, it freezes, it just simply doesn't want to work properly anymore. Now, sloth and torpor may occur at any point you know, during one's day, as we've heard, and uh, it may also, if we look at uh, the meditation practice as a whole, so uh, over a period of several uh, weeks, it will occur at very specific places in the practice. So there's certain so-called insight knowledge, stages of understanding of Fatna wisdom, where you know, the five hindrances tend to be predominant, and among those also the hindrance of sloth and torpor. Now, allow me to continue to or to now give you the a number of descriptions descriptions or terms that the Buddha has used and as are recorded in the text and descriptions or, or words with regard to you know, sloth in Pali, and this will be followed by the classical fourfold definition of Fatna Sloth, and then we'll do the same thing in the case of Fatna Torpor. And this might help you or allow you to better recognize sloth and torpor when it's when those two mental factors come up in your meditation practice. So the Dhamma Sangani, uh, the question of the Dhamma Sangani is certainly the first of the Abhidhamma works. So it asks the question, what is sloth? And it gives the answer, there are indisposition of mind, unpreparedness of mind for good action, sluggishness of mind, stolidity of mind, inertia of mind, inertness of mind, being inert, sloth, being slothful, and slothfulness of mind. This is called sloth. And modern synonyms for this sloth could be 
words such as dullness, such as laziness, idleness, disinclination to action or work, indolence, the habit or lazing around, the bad habit of being lazy and unwilling to work, a state of having no energy and enthusiasm. That much in terms of synonyms. Now, as for you know, the fourfold classical definition of sloth as given in the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, there it says the characteristic of sloth is you know, the lack of driving power. And certainly, so a lack of something that certainly motivates us. Its function is to dispel energy. So just consider when earlier on, before the sloth sets in, energy is present, and then gradually the sloth comes in, and its function then is to drain that certain energy. And so to drain it, to dispel it, to, to weaken it. It is manifested as the sinking of the mind, and this particular aspect here, namely the manifestation, can be experienced by yogis in a, a very direct manner. So when sloth is quite certain predominant, one notices that at first, as long as it is not there or weak, then some mental activity is still there. Gradually there will be less and less mental activity, less and less observation, and then gradually the mind ends up in that dull, murky state. The proximate cause for it near the arising of sloth is certainly given as unwise attention to to things like boredom, drowsiness, sluggishness of mind, dullness of mind. And the explanation here is an explanation for unwise attention is that when things it's perfectly all right for the boredom to be there, for drowsiness or sluggishness to be there. So one accepts those states, and as a result, well, then slothness sets in. Now, in the case of torpor, so the second component of our hindrance, sloth and torpor, the Dhammasangani, now then now says its indisposition of mental factors, unpreparedness of mental factors for good action, obscurity of mental factors, internal blockage of mental factors, sleepiness, drowsiness, and then we have modern terms such as stupor, torpidity, and a state of not being 
active. So as mentioned, the short definition for torpor is sudden that weak and or morbid and weak state of mind of the mental factors. Its characteristic is that of unwieldiness. Its function is to smother and it is manifested as drooping, tiredness, fatigue, sleepiness, exhaustion, drowsiness, and so on. And again, its proximate cause is the same as in the case of sloth, namely unwise attention to things such as boredom, drowsiness, etc. Now, both sloth and torpor, from an Abhidhamma point of view, so in terms of uh, uh, a classification, arise together with the seven universal net mental factors, so factors you know, such as uh, the contact and certain uh, then perception f feeding and uh, uh, sorry con uh, contact feeling perception and certain uh, uh, so on sloth and torpor now arises on occasion with some of the occasional net mental factors it always arises with the four unwholesome mm, universals namely of uh, mm, shamelessness of uh, then uh, or uh, ignorance as first uh, then shamelessness then fearlessness of wrongdoing and uh, lastly we have uh, restlessness so very clearly sloth and certain torpor do not arise together with certain wholesome uh, mental factors now, also important to know around uh, sloth and torpor is that laziness, and which is an aspect of fitness, sloth and torpor, is frequently combined with several other unwholesome mental states, namely uh, a lack of faith, a lack of moral shame, a lack of moral fear, and little learning and folly, so absence of wisdom, lack of wisdom. That same slackness or laziness, kusito in the Pali scriptural language, is certainly mentioned 
in Vidyaga Nikaya, the long discourses of the Buddha, uh, among the seven wrong practices. And those consist of lack of faith, lack of moral shame, lack of moral dread, little learning, being slack, being unmindful, and lacking wisdom. Now, by now it should become or it should be obvious that certainly we do not certainly want to be forever under the influence of the hindrances in general and the hindrance of sloth and torpor in particular. So we do need to address this hindrance or the hindrances in general and one way of doing this is turning our attention to the Satipatthana the Sutta, so the discourse on the establishments of mindfulness as given in the Majjhima Nikaya. And there, you know, there is mention of four establishments of mindfulness and the contemplation of the hindrances comes under which one? What's that? Yes, that is correct. Dhamma Nupasana Satipatthana. It's to the point. And the other items mentioned under Dhamma Nupasana as given in the Satipatthana Sutta are um, to be mindful of the five aggregates of Fatna, the six sense spheres, the seven enlightenment factors, and Satna, then the four noble truths. Now, the general instruction with regard to, to the hindrances runs as follows, namely, concerning the contemplation of Dhamma, one knows whether one of the five hindrances is present in oneself or not, knows how the respective hindrance arises, knows how it is overcome, and how in the future it does no more arise. So, in total, how many instructions do we have here? Per one hindrance. Three. You say three, add two more, and uh, no, then it will be five. So, five instructions. The first one, to know the presence of a hindrance. The second one is to know the absence of a hindrance, and then to know how it arises, so the causes, the conditions for the arising of a hindrance, then, and so that's the third instruction, how it is overcome, so how to remove it, that's number four, and then how in the future it does no more arise, no more you know, at all. So that's your fifth instruction. And then you can multiply that by five, namely, for each and every of the five hindrances. Now, 
in the case or specifically in the case of sloth and torpor the instructions as given in the Majjhima Nikaya in the Satipatthana Sutta are as follows if sloth and torpor is present in oneself one knows there is sloth and torpor in me if sloth and torpor is not present in oneself one knows there is no sloth and torpor in me and one knows how unarisen sloth and torpor can arise one knows how arisen sloth and torpor can be removed and finally one knows how a future arising of the removed sloth and torpor can be prevented. Now, just to know the presence or the absence of sloth and torpor is certainly relatively uh, a simple thing to do. Now, why do you think is it so important to know the presence of fatness, sloth, and torpor in one stream of consciousness? Why would this be? It will speak upon you and catch you unawares. Uh, it would sneak up on you, that's it. And certainly, if one is not careful, one you know, drowns in that sudden sloth and torpor. So one might end up you know, uh, uh, caught up in sloth and torpor for 10, 15 minutes. So we have every interest to you know, recognize the presence of fatness, sloth and torpor as quickly as possible. Also considering if sloth and torpor is present, there will be other, other unwholesome mental states that might also come in, and then we're attacked not just by the sloth and torpor, but also by other unwholesome mental factors. And with that, our suffering increases or decreases? <laughs> it will greatly increase. There you go. Now, why is uh, knowing the absence of uh, a hindrance such as sloth and torpor so important? Yes, and uh, indeed, and that's a good uh, point. So knowing the absence of sloth and torpor, it becomes easier to recognize the sloth and torpor when it's present. And as an additional point, you know, when uh, there's an absence of sloth and torpor, there is at least room and at least an opportunity for other wholesome mental states to arise. And they might occur, as we will see, in a certain uh, sequence. Well, I might as well mention that right away. Not, namely, when, and this applies to all, you know, to each and every of those five certain hindrances, when the mind, or this applies, yeah, well, when the mind is free from 
the hindrances, temporarily free, and also free from you know, physical pains and aches, then a sense of gladness arises in the mind, and in the Pali scripture language referred to as Bamboja. And, and it's a weak form of joy. That gladness has a tendency to lead on to the arising of joy, beauty in the Pali scripture language. That joy at first would be somewhat rough, gradually over time it becomes more and more refined. And you know, that will then prepare the, uh, the way for the arising of tranquility. First stillness of the body, followed by a stillness of the mind. And that tranquility, especially of the mind, then has yet another consequence, namely it leads to the arising of happiness, and the happiness in turn paves the way for what? For the arising of? Concentration. That's correct. And the concentration is the is the final destination or not? Wisdom. Wisdom, yes, there you go. Now, so this much with regard, with, with regard to further explanations, um, when it comes to the presence of the hindrances in general and uh, you know, the absence of uh, one hindrance or uh, two or all of them. Now, and so, of course, this certainly also applies to sloth and torpor. Now, let us take a closer look at those causes or conditions, that those factors that lead to the arising of sloth and torpor. So, as we have seen already, the proximate cause for the arising of sloth and torpor was what? Unwise attention. Unwise attention, that's correct. And so unwise attention to boredom, drowsiness, laziness, and so on. Now, the texts give us some further input as to factors that certainly lead to the arising of sloth and torpor. For instance, the Dhammapada Atakata, so the commentary to you know, the Dhammapada, speaks of Kama Vitaka, Vyapada Vitaka, and Vihimsa Vitaka, namely thoughts of sensuality, of ill will, and cruelty. Now, what do you think hap what happens? What do you think what happens when, for an entire day, a retreatant indulges in such thoughts of sensuality, of ill will, and of cruelty? Will that refresh the mind, energize the mind? By the end of the day, uh, you're worn out. The mind is worn out. And uh, so this uh, lead, and this you can verify in your uh, own uh, practice, 
Satan is rightly given as a reason, as a cause or condition for the arising of sloth and torpor. Now, we can say in general that any arising of an unwholesome mental state and certainly the lasting of it over a longer period of time and also being quite intense will uh, wear out uh, the mind. As alluded to already at the outset of the talk, there's yet another um, possibility or in particular scenario that leads to the arising of sloth and torpor, namely starting with the hindrance of sense desire, we overcome that, that leads on to sooner or later that ill will arises as a second hindrance we overcome that and suddenly then um, the hindrance of sloth and torpor follows can you think of other factors that contribute to the arising of sloth and torpor? Not getting enough sleep. Not getting enough sleep. Yes, good. Not having enough fresh air in a room. Not having not enough. Having enough air. Uh, not having enough fresh air in a room. Yes, correct. And uh, when it comes to the room temperature when it's too warm. But when it's pretty cold, certainly no one is unlikely to fall asleep. In terms of the seasons of the year, like in Lumbini, there's a uh, there's a you know, well. There's the, the cold season, and then there's the hot season, and then the rainy season, and of course, certainly the you know, transitions and certainly so you know, retreatants have you know, the hardest time you know, with the hindrances, in particular sloth and torpor, during the hot season when the temperature rises, uh, be uh, up to 39 degrees or plus centigrade, not uh, Fahrenheit. And, so, and then, any other factors that could lead to you know, the arising of sloth and torpor? What about food? After a meal. After digesting, because the body's energy is diverted. Mm -hmm. That's it. And on top of that, eating too much. So having had too much food, the belly is filled to the brim, and uh, that certainly then. Uh, is conducive to the arising of sloth and torpor. Now there are even certain types of food that certainly tend to uh, induce certain sloth and torpor. Would you have any idea what those could be? Sugar. 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 Sweet ah, sweet things? The Potatoes? Yeah, anything that converts into sugar. Ah. Would you agree to, uh, to this? No? Not for you. <laughs> What's your experience? More like meat. Ah, meat. Uh-huh. Uh, heavy proteins like that. Yes. Uh, meat. Uh, no, what about uh, uh, potatoes? Uh? Pasta. Pasta. 
Uh, so if we go on like this, there's nothing else. Uh, nothing <laughs> will remain to be eaten. <laughs> now, with regard to the primary, the primary, mm, or the proximate cause for the arising of uh, sloth and torpor, the Samyutta Nikaya, in its fifth volume, section 64, uh, gives us the following. Namely, there are, O oh, retreatants, discontent, lethargy, lazy stretching, drowsiness after meals, sluggishness of mind. Frequently giving careless attention to them in the sense of allowing them, accepting them, buying into them, is the nutriment for the arising of aneurysm, sloth and torpor, and for the increase and expansion or growth of arisen sloth and torpor. So please notice here that um, even discontent is being mentioned as a factor that could lead to the arising of sloth and torpor. Now, lazy stretching would be after a sitting session when feels like, uh, well, exercising, and then in an easygoing manner, one uh, uh, does one's stretching. And not, no longer being mindful. One particular case that suddenly leads to you know, the arising of fatness, sloth, and torpor was mentioned by Deborah already, namely uh, calmness, tranquility, serenity, you know, peacefulness of mind is there, and uh, um, it's a very pleasant state. It, this leads to the arising of some thinking. The thinking then leads on to daydreaming, and the daydreaming leads suddenly uh, one into sloth and torpor. One has to be careful with that particular uh, sequence. There is yet another cause for you know, the arising of sloth and torpor. If you think of uh, the five controlling faculties and uh, the deficiencies and certainly uh, the excess of excesses of those factors. There's one case. There you go. Too much concentration leads to the arising of first sloth and torpor, and uh, a lack in effort will lead to the same thing. So maybe this much in terms of explanations uh, uh, with regard to the third instruction, how to instructions given in uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, how to overcome uh, or, or to know the uh, conditions that lead to the arising of sloth and torpor. Now, as for the fourth instruction, if sloth and torpor is present, you know, then to know the conditions that lead to you know, the removal, the abandoning of sloth and torpor. And 
in this regard, there's much to be uh, mentioned. There's many different ways to tackle the sloth and torpor. Now, let's first tap your practical experiences. How, uh, how to deal with sloth and torpor? What has worked for you? Jackie? Ah, keep your eyes open. Yes, indeed. Investigation. Investigation of states. Yes, that's correct. Anything else? Yes, Constance. Um, there has to be a, or like a willingness to. Willingness to. Willingness for release around it. A willingness to let it go. Ah, good. Mm-hmm. Good point. Anything else? Raise the energy. The energy, increasing the energy? Yes. Yes, that's correct. And so far, you're missing, the, the, you haven't mentioned yet the main point. What? Yes, Jane? Standing up. Standing up, yes, that also helps indeed. And what about mindfulness itself? So simply just uh, being mindful of uh, the very presence of uh, sloth and torpor. Now, once we are aware of it, we can uh, then start uh, working with it, we can start learning from this sudden mental state. The Visud, uh, sorry, the Samyutta Nikaya, again in, the, in its fifth volume, in the section six one o five speaks of careful or wise, giving careful attention, wise attention, and this then in order to overcome sloth and torpor. The relevant passage is as follows. There are, O retreatants, the element of arousal, arambha datu, the Venerable Pandita here speaks of the initial effort. Secondly, the element of endeavor, nikama datu, stepped up effort in the language of the Venerable Pandita. And then finally, the element of exertion, parakama datu, in the Pali scriptural language. And so through culminating the effort and giving careful attention to those then will help to denourish or will lead to the denourishment of sloth and torpor and will uh, also prevent unarisen sloth and torpor from arising and arisen sloth and torpor from increasing and expanding. 
Now, the commentary to the Satipatthana, the Sutta, gives an additional six points how to deal with sloth and torpor, and I'll just briefly mention those. Number one, knowing that overeating causes causes, uh, sloth and torpor, and certainly instead then working towards a moderation in taking food. Then, as one of you has alluded to already, namely a change of posture. If you keep falling asleep in the sitting posture, the thing to do is simply to get up and then practice in the standing posture, or to get up and then do some walking meditation. So to change the the posture that causes certain of the sleepiness. Now, the commentary goes on to uh, or you know, then goes on to uh, state clarity of cognition as another uh, factor to, uh, how to uh, factor to overcome uh, sloth and torpor and here by clarity of cognition is meant a clear uh, pure a bright clear and pure cognition of formations in accordance with the vibhanga and then the um, work that further elaborates on this then says um, it needs to be a cognition thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.